0: Thank you for listening to the Faith-Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the fourth Sunday in Lent, March 27, 2022, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Luke chapter 15 verses 1 through 3 and verses 11 through 32. can be found on page 1623 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name Luke 15, 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable, and then now down to verse 11. He said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray, amen. may be seated. No doubt many of you are familiar with the Gospel lesson this morning. Some have heard it called the parable of the prodigal son. Maybe some have heard it called the parable of the lost son. Others, the parable of the two sons. Tim Keller calls this the prodigal God. Whatever has come to be called now, it's one of the most famous teachings of Jesus Christ In the New Testament. But I think one of the big takeaways this morning is we should be careful how we refer to it. Not only are we tempted to miss the number of sons that the Father has, but I think after a careful examination, we might not even be comfortable calling it a parable. I think it hits much closer to home in reality than a story with a moral. So, turning our eyes back to Luke 15 this morning, let's take a look at each one of the sons and then the father. The first son comprises the bulk of Jesus' teaching this morning. The first two paragraphs and the first 14 of 22 verses of Jesus' teaching are occupied with this first and younger son. And the story, again, is well known. The son asks the father for his inheritance early. He takes that inheritance, goes to a foreign land, and then squanders everything he has with reckless living. Finding himself destitute, he comes to his senses and purposes to beg his father and let him be a servant. But the father sees him and welcomes him back with open arms and reinstates him as a member of the family. But apart from the reckless living... We often miss the sins of the first son. In asking for his inheritance early, the son essentially tells the father that the father is as good as dead to him. You see, inheritances aren't doled out until death, it's more than, I wish you were dead. This younger son tells his father, right now, you're dead to me. And this is more than just a slap in the face. It's the deepest insult you can give a family member. It cuts straight to the heart of who this father is. But even over and above that, when the son gets out of Dodge, he continues to act as if his father isn't alive. The reckless living is an indication that this son never listened to the kindly instruction and discipline of his father. And and the hiring of himself out to the people of the foreign land to feed the pigs doubles down on that notion, as this would have been completely unacceptable and out of bounds to Jesus' Jewish audience. Finally, When the son comes to his senses, he acts as if his father's love has changed, as if his father's love has been altered. While we still might suspect that his father is kind, even though the son is repentant, the son assumes that his offenses are greater than his father's love. And he tries to manipulate his way back into the father's care through the back door. The father, of course, welcomes him back with open arms. It turns out the father has been watching for him to return this entire time. He restores the son, he clothes him, and gives him again the family ring. He conducts a feast in honor of his son's return. And everything the son assumed and concluded about his father was wrong. The younger son failed in every way imaginable. But it turns out that his wrongness about his father ended up being incredibly good news for him. The second son comes next. And he... Enters into the picture during the last paragraph of Jesus' sermon. And unlike the father, the second son has written off his brother. The second son isn't looking for his brother to return, he's in the field working. The second son is always about his business, putting his head down and his nose to the grindstone. If the first son treated his father as if he was good as dead, the second son treated his brother as if he was good, as dead. We start to see the family dynamic developing a little bit for us. Upon hearing the news of his brother's return, the elder son becomes angry. One might even say indignant. The elder son, after all, has been a faithful servant of his father in the household for all these years, and he never asked for anything the entire time. Now, The sins of the elder son might not be as apparent as the younger one, but they are still there. The elder son is entitled. He thinks he deserves what he has coming to him. But again, that's not how inheritance works. The inheritance laws of that day were doled out based on birthright. You don't earn the right to be called the firstborn son. You're simply born first. And so the elder son's entitlement, again, completely out of bounds. But what is striking here, and if you're paying close attention, is that the elder son also treats his father as if he's good as dead. When the elder son speaks of celebrating, He wants to celebrate with his friends, not with his father. The elder son indicates he's just doing his duty until the old man is out of the picture. And again, what is interesting is that his father also comes out to meet him where he is at. Instead of welcoming him back to the family the father appeals to him to be restored to his family. He reminds the elder son that because of the father's goodness and graciousness, there was always opportunity for celebration. The elder father meets him in goodness, or the father meets the elder son in goodness and in mercy. So what's the moral of Jesus' teaching? Well, as Jesus teaches about these two sons, the meaning of his teaching becomes almost self-evident, especially to those of us in the church. The parable is not so much about either one of the sons or both of them together, it's about the love and mercy of God the Father, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love toward all his children. Oftentimes, when this parable is preached, the punchline involves asking the hearers of the sermon— to identify which son they are right now. But I think that takes us a step too far. I think Jesus today is describing to us that we, in our sin, are both of the sons. We are The younger son. In our blatant sin, we treat God the Father as if he's not alive and as if his words do not matter. As we abandon him and continue to sin and in unrepentance, we continue to deceive ourselves as if he's not around and as if there is no consequences for our actions. And finally, we ignore what we know about God's grace and mercy when we try to bargain our way back into his kingdom even our repentance ends up looking like bargaining but we are also the elder son the sins of the elder son describe us in our self righteousness we believe that by our good behavior and by our loyalty that we deserve every good thing that comes to us and when those good things don't come when we expect them we fault the father and question his motives. Why am I not being blessed when this sinner over there is being blessed? What's going on? Don't I go to church? Don't I do my devotions? Don't I pray? Why can I not receive a blessing? And in our self-righteous pride, we often become embittered and disillusioned with the God of the universe and end up turning our backs on Him just as quickly as the younger son. But the point of Jesus' teaching this morning is that through it all, God the Father remains patient. He remains merciful. And most importantly, He seeks our restoration and our reconciliation with Him. And this is why it's so important for us to identify that in, there's, in this parable of the two sons, there's actually a third son. And the third son is the one who's doing the talking. The third son is the faithful son of the father. He has obeyed the father every step of his life. And he joins the father in seeking out the estranged and sinful children of God. In fact, the third son stands in the place of each of the other two sons. The other two sons are offered restoration and are welcomed by the Father precisely because the third son died for their sins. This is the entire point of Jesus' sermon as he preaches it. The Father's unconditional love and aggressive mercy in pursuing His two wayward sons must always be understood in the reality that He sent His other Son, Jesus Christ, to make His love and mercy not only possible, but an evident reality. You, dear saints today, are all sinners. And other than informing your repentance, it doesn't particularly matter which type of sinner you are, because in your sin, one way or another, you have acted as if God is dead to you, either by the boldness of your sin or by the boldness of your self-righteousness. But the reality of your sin is that you no longer belong, nor do you deserve to belong to the family of God, except for the grace and mercy of God. A grace and mercy that not only receives you back when you repent, a grace and mercy that not only pursues you in your sin, but a grace and mercy that sends your brother, the third son, Jesus Christ, to stand in your place and pay, to pay the price for your sins. Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection flow from the same unconditional love and mercy demonstrated by the Father in this parable. And Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection are what allow the God of the universe to pour water over Nahum's head and welcome him as a child of God. And they are what allow the God of the universe in your repentance repeatedly to remind you that you also are a son of God, are his child whom he loves, whom he welcomes, whom he forgives, and whom he saves. Amen.